Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts and let's uh, go to chapter 12. Uh, we finished off in verse 12 and we're going to pick up verse 12. Peter is released from prison and, and we know that it's through the power of prayer. Now, it's interesting, a couple of weeks back, we got started on a Wednesday night. I wanted to get back into our study of 1 Samuel, and it just seemed like the Holy Spirit was directing me uh, to do uh, a teaching on prayer. And so we did, and I spoke about the power of prayer, and we spoke about 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, Hannah, her prayer has always uh, impressed me in my heart. She was a woman in travail. She was a, a Hebrew woman that could not have children. And Penena, the other wife, uh, was constantly badgering her. I have children, you don't. And so she had gone to the temple and she cried out to the Lord, give me a man child or I die. And what God wanted from her was to return that child. You see, Samuel was born eventually. Samuel was the first prophet of God, the first prophet in the Old Testament. And so once she relinquished that and said, yes, I will take him back to the temple, uh, God caused her womb to open and she had a child. She took the child back. Listen, ladies, after the child was weaned, you're talking two, three, four years old, max. And that child was taken back to the temple, and he was given to the Lord. And Samuel was a tremendous prophet of God. And the key was that Hannah prayed. She wouldn't quit. She wouldn't stop praying. And then we spoke about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, as Paul's finishing up the letter, and he says, pray without ceasing. Have this awareness of prayer. Have this attitude of prayer. Be concerned of your surroundings. Be concerned at all times. And, and, you know, it's not just the clasping of the hands. It's not closing of the eyes, but the attitude of prayer in your heart. Many times I can't pray out loud, but I can see something. I can see somebody. I see a family. I see a husband and a wife. I see there's controversy there. I see that there's pain. And so the Spirit of the Lord speaks to you, and, and our place is to pray. And sometimes I have approached them, and I've said, listen, I'm a minister. Can I help you? Here's my card. Give me a call. I've had some uh, response to that, and I've had negative also. No, thank you. Um, you know, in a sense, mind your own business, but I, I had to do what I felt was proper. And so after finishing that teaching, uh, we begin here. In the book of Acts in chapter 12. And it's all about prayer. There's a small prayer group at Mary's house. And we know that they're praying for Peter's release. At this time, Herod is a tyrant. He's badgering the church. He's persecuting the church. He has James killed. He has Peter imprisoned. And yet we're going to see his judgment come at the end of the chapter. He thought he was somebody. He became very pompous. And there at Caesarea, uh, in the theater, they were crying out to him as a God, and he accepted it. And God judged them for it. And so, as we finish off the chapter, again, some of you weren't here, so I want to give you a little bit of background that brought us to this point. 
The church is on the move. From the book of Acts chapter 2, Pentecost had fallen when the Holy Spirit fell upon the 120 in the upper room. The church has never been the same. We know in church history that the gospel and the Holy Spirit was not exclusive just to the Jews only. Those in Jerusalem and also Peter himself. It's only for the Jews. But God was working. And so in Acts chapter 10, he gathers Peter and he gathers Cornelius and he gives them both visions. And he shows them that the Holy Spirit is not only for the Jews. Salvation is not only for the Jews. But it's also been extended unto the Gentiles. Now what's interesting, back in Acts chapter uh, 10, we see this gentleman, Cornelius. He's a Gentile. He belongs to the uh, Roman Italian band. He was a captain in the military. He was called a centurion. And so he was in charge of at least a hundred men. But what I love about Acts chapter 10, as we read, that Cornelius was a God-fearing man. And then it says that the Lord saw his prayer life and the Lord saw his almgivings to the poor. Peter met with this man at, at Caesarea in his house. The gospels presented. Salvation comes to the Gentile home. But not only salvation, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Again, in reference to Acts chapter 2, in reference to the prophecy back in Joel chapter 2, uh, the church has never been the same, Jew and Gentile. How desperately we need salvation. This is why our world basically is corrupted. And we can't have the Holy Spirit until salvation comes. And so salvation is a free gift. The Holy Spirit is also a free gift. But Jew and Gentile are moved by the Holy Spirit now. But it's not without reproach. It's not without trial. It's not without tribulation of some type. And some of you that have been Christians for a time now, you understand the closer you draw to God. The more you read your scriptures, the more you pray, the more you come to church, and, and the more you get involved at church. And then all of a sudden, here comes the enemy. He doesn't like you. He doesn't like anything that you represent. And so he comes against you with trials, tribulation, hardship, and pain. At this time in church history, we see Herod, Agrippa I. He is the grandson of Herod the Great, and he's harassing the church. And not only is he harassing, but he has James killed. And then we see that Peter's arrested, arrested. But as we finished last week, this prayer group prayed. They didn't, they didn't hold back church. They prayed. They prayed hard. It came from the heart. And we've shared this many times. Uh, I, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm having migraines. I have a headache and, you know, or I have a back pain. Uh, maybe I lost my job. And the prayer is there. But what I'm trying to say is when somebody comes up the next time and they say, Pastor, I went to the doctor. I have cancer. All of a sudden, it's a different perspective. It's not the same as I prayed for a migraine. And yet we pray for the migraine. 
But all of a sudden, my brother, my sister in Christ, or God forbid, it's my spouse or it's your spouse. And now God has your attention. It's time to pray, Bob. It's time to pray, George. It's time to pray, Martha. We're called to prayer. Again, Hannah meant business with God when she prayed. It wasn't just a prayer over her food. She wanted a man-child. And so she meant business with God. This prayer group meant business with God. And so let's get into our text here. King Herod persecutes the church. We're going to finish it off with part two. In Acts chapter 12, look at verse 12 as we left off last week. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary. This is Peter now. He's been released from prison. The mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together in prayer. Now, there were home churches at this time. Jerusalem couldn't, uh, the Christian church couldn't meet in the temple. So there was home churches. How big was this prayer group? I venture to say it was not a, a huge prayer group. It was a handful of people. Let's give it the benefit of the doubt. Is it 5, 10, is it 15? But they're praying. They're earnestly praying. And now Peter comes to the house. And so last week, the power of prayer. Persecution is there. It's evident. The church was at the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. They had a prayer meeting, not just any prayer meeting. They had a prayer meeting of faith, the prayer meeting of trusting God, the prayer meeting of hope in Christ Jesus. Prayer is an awesome place to be, but they believe by faith. Faith that can move mountains, the Bible says. A faith like a mustard seed, Jesus said. Jesus also said, have faith like a child. When a child is young, they have so much faith. As our girls grew up, they just believed everything we said and did everything we would ask them to. And even, I always share that when I would get in the pool, we'd be at the motel going to California. I'd say, jump in. They would jump in. You get to be 14, 15 years old, they don't want to jump in no more. Dad's not going to catch me. He's playing with my mind again. But to have childlike faith. And so something's taking place here. They prayed hard, church. Peter has been arrested and released. He had been between two soldiers, not one, but two soldiers. That was very uncommon. And we gave a reference last week. Here we are in our time of church history. And, and how many of us don't know, if you don't know about him, Pastor Saeed is in an Iranian prison right now. And then we mentioned two uh, pastors, uh, Presbyterian pastors in the Sudan, named Michael and Peter. And they're incarcerated because they had gone over to the Islamic side of, of, of the Sudan. Obviously, they were arrested. And there's this political move to get them out, to get Saeed out. But nothing's happening. And people are frustrated. I, I'm always reading Nagmeh. This is Saeed's wife's blog on, on the internet. And I mean, it's frustrating for her. And yet she continues. That woman is amazing to me. She's like Hannah. 
She doesn't stop. She doesn't quit because it has to do with her husband. It has to do with her children. Her children ask her, Mommy, when is Daddy coming home? What do you tell a seven, eight-year-old? It's not easy. And so here's Peter now. He was released by the power of prayer as the Holy Spirit came upon this prayer group. And that's exactly, I believe, it's not going to be about the government. It's not going to be about our government leaders. But it's going to be about prayer that Saeed will be released. It's going to be about uh, prayer if this, these two pastors, uh, Peter and Michael, are going to be released. And yet, we understand. Let's not, let's not waver from there. They could easily die. But the Bible says to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And so our place is to pray. And so here's the church. They're praying. And we're going to see that uh, when Peter comes to the house, Rhoda, the servant girl, she like doesn't open the door. She goes, it's Peter. And she goes back. Did she have doubt? Was she hearing a, a, a vision, a dream? Was it sound? Yet Peter's released. Look at verse 13 now. And as Peter knocked, he's at the house. And at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda, she came to answer. Now, remember that the angel of the Lord, when Peter was incarcerated, woke Peter up and told him, get dressed quickly. Then he led him out of the prison. Listen, past the guards, etc. No one was awakened. The angel continued to lead Peter out safely from the prison until the angel knew that Peter could find his way back to the house. Back to the group that was praying. But the angel was there. <laughs> there at Mary's house. Here's Peter outside knocking and knocking. Uh, Mary is John Mark's mother. All this through the power of prayer. Again, church, not just prayer, but the power of prayer. Listen again, believing that your prayer will come to pass. We pray. We spoke about Hannah's prayer, 1 Samuel chapter 1. She meant business with God. Uh, this servant girl, Rhoda, the translation of her name, she's called a rose. Many times in the Hebrew culture, uh, they would name their daughters after flowers. They would name their daughters uh, after palm trees and such. Or, uh, and so it's nothing new. Those of you that grew up in the 60s, I mean, how many kids uh, are, are now, you know, in their 60s and they're called moonbeam? Come on. But look at verse 14. When she recognized it was Peter's voice, finally she snapped. Because of her gladness, she did not open uh, the gate. Now, we know and we understand that it's nightfall. It could be early morning, but it's dark. But she hears his voice. Notice that she runs and she announces that Peter stood before the gate. <laughs> the simplicity, what I see here in this verse. Sometimes we may not even believe that God can or will answer our prayer. Is that the position of Rhoda? I don't know. We go before the Lord in prayer. I come to the Lord with faith. I'm believing God. In other words, I go through the motions. Then when God answers, we're just like the servant girl Rhoda. And she shut the door on the answered prayer, which is Peter. Or was she truly just overjoyed? She shuts the door, runs, 
Because notice how the others received the good news, the glad tidings. But let me remind you, she's a servant girl. We don't know how old she is. Back in verse 18, we're going to see that. It's late at night or early in the morning. There was concern, the darkness maybe. And then what's been happening in the early church? The door had to have been locked, but there was a gate. At the time, at the same time, remember last week, uh, the death of James was announced. Peter's in prison, placed in shackles. Uh, they probably uh, took a long possible look concerning the persecution uh, of their own lives and safety. Remember Jesus warned. I want you to mark this beautiful verse down. Matthew 16.10 has always spoken to me. Jesus warned the disciples. Uh, they were going to go out into the world. They were going to minister out and about. They were going to deal with false shepherds. They were going to deal with false prophets. They were going to deal with false evangelism. They were going to deal with false. And there were going to be attacks. And so when we go to do the work of the Lord, and, and this is for anybody, tomorrow uh, you go to work, tomorrow you go to school, tomorrow, ladies, maybe you don't work, so you go shopping. We need to understand our surroundings. Don't take things for granted. You know, oh, I'm going to the store, it's midnight, the husband don't want to go, I'm going to go by myself, I'll sing Kumbaya all the way to the Walmart. Doesn't get it. Be wise as a serpent, Jesus said. Be gentle as a dove. Very important passage, Matthew 16, 10. Why be wise as a serpent? You realize a serpent is still around? You realize back in Genesis, uh, when Eve was dialoguing, she was dialoguing with a serpent, he was upright. He was a beautiful creation of God. She was tempted and she fell. The curse upon the serpent, he was no longer going to be upright, but he was going to be slithering. Noah's flood comes in Genesis chapter 7. A lot of animals are extinct by now. Here we are, 6,000 years later. The snake is still around. The serpent is still around, especially here in our southwest. I got to be careful when I go out into my yard. You never know what you're going to encounter. We have a half acre, and sometimes the grass is too high. Sometimes the shed has things. I remember one time we were moving a pile of, uh, of logs that we had for the stove. And we moved them from one place to another. Lo and behold, snakeskins at the bottom. Well, if there's snakeskins, there were snakes. That's in our own community. Now, we live out in the rural area, so many times when we're going up the road, oh, look, at somebody dropped a piece of rope. You go by and it's a smashed snake. Reality. Wise as a serpent, but gentle as a dove, Jesus said. Don't take things for granted. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is discernment. God gives us discernment. And so again, we look around. We have this awareness. We have this understanding, and the Spirit of God speaks to you. We have to understand. 
And so here's Peter now coming to the prayer group, but they're fearful, excited, close the door. Why? I think we would fall into the same category. Uh, notice what Peter does here. In verse 15, but they said to her, uh, those that were in the prayer group, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. It's Peter, I'm telling you. So they said, it's his angel. Oh, that's very interesting to me. It, it was common opinion among the Jews, listen to the story here, that every man, every woman had a guardian angel. That's some of the Catholic doctrines. They believe that also. And some Protestant doctrines believe that we have guardian angels. Now we have to ask the question. Do I believe that? Do you believe that? Scripture doesn't teach specifically that we have guardian angels. Let me give you two verses. In Hebrews 13.2, it tells us some have entertained angels unaware. So when we help others, we assist others. Are we being tested by a guardian angel? Their guardian angel or our guardian angel? I don't know the answer. Listen to this one in Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. Jesus said, don't mistreat one of my children for their angel in heaven are before my father. Do we have a guardian angel? Do you have a guardian angel? I believe we do. But there's no teaching on having a guardian angel. Uh, listen, 33 years here in the Southwest, driving back and forth to Southern California. I mean, we've encountered many obstacles. And I can tell you, we always pray. We ask the church body to pray. And I, I know for a fact, God surrounds us with his angels. The Bible says that uh, Job had a hedge a protection around him. And when God lowered it, then Satan, Lucifer, tempted him. I want you to think this afternoon when you go home, just some of the things that happen in your life as a Christian, as a believer. And maybe you were supposed to get hurt, but it, the angel of the Lord held you back. How many times do you get in a vehicle and you go, wait a minute, I forgot my keys. I'm in a hurry. I'm running late. And so you run back in and you go get the key. That two minutes, that three minutes, you go down to the intersection, wham, there's a big pile up. You know in your heart, you can sense it, you can feel it. That could have been me. Did God spare you from that? Does he send guardian angels uh, to help you? Does he surround us uh, with angels with flaming swords? There's a lot of ministries of angels. But I like that in, in Matthew 10, uh, verse, excuse me, verse 10, but um, chapter 18, verse 10, Jesus said, don't mistreat one of my children for their angel in heaven are before the father. Listen to this. Uh, the Jews also believe that angels often assume the likeness of particular persons. There are stories, I'm telling you, these are stories of the appearances of Elijah and the likeness of different rabbis. These are stories. The word angelos, which we understand the word angels, can signify a messenger of God, be it divine or human. Did the disciples uh, suppose that Peter was a guardian angel? 
at this time. That was him that came. That was who was at the door. Was it also an opinion among uh, the Jews, even in the time of the apostles, that departed souls, listen, departed souls of good men officiated as ministering angels? Is it possible that the disciples at Mary's house might have supposed that Peter had been murdered in the prison? Listen. And that his spirit was now uh, come to announce this particular event or give some particular warning to the church. All this is speculation. Read the text for what it says. They said to Rhoda, you're beside yourself. Yet they kept insisting that it was so. <laughs> she kept uh, insisting. So they said, okay. She sees Peter's angel. Be very careful. I've dealt with so many things through the years. Pastor Bob, my, my mom's an angel in heaven. Be careful with that logic. There are angels in heaven. I don't think your mom is one of them. Well, you know, my dad, he's an angel now and he's watching over me. It's not what the scriptures teach. It's what we want to believe. It's our emotions. We just recently had a death in, in our family. And it was my, my uncle's uh, wife. And, you know, we, we couldn't go. We just couldn't. The opportunity was not there for us. And I'm seeing my, my cousins. And they're posting stuff on Facebook and you know, there's doves that are released and said, oh, you know, mom's looking down through the dove. Then they went to visit family and they were at the swimming pool and there's a beautiful butterfly. and She never moved. The butterfly never moved. I say she because they said it was mom. Where do these concepts come from? The Filipinos, when they bury their loved ones and in uh, some of their cultures, uh, they put rice and chickens with them. Because they need to survive on the journey. They also put rocks to clang them together. So they're going to eventually meet up with Satan. And that's to move him out of the way in the form of a, of a serpent. Well, where do these come from? We've had people here at the chapel. And I ask them to come in. Anybody want to share something about their loved one? We're doing a memorial service. And I cringe when I open that up because I don't know what's going to come up. Dad, I'll be up there pretty soon. We'll have some beer and we'll do some fishing. Whoa. You sure dad's up there because I'm not gonna, I don't think there's any beer in heaven. But these are the concepts, people's. And so uh, let's look at Peter. Peter's there in the flesh. It's his angel they're saying now. Angels are messengers, protectors, fighters. They watch over us. Yes. Yes, they watch over us. There was a beautiful story. I shared this with some of you. Some of you don't know the story, but back in Southern California at the Calvary Chapel, uh, there were several ladies, six, seven, eight ladies gathering for a coffee, for a tea at a home. And they were, you know, breaking bread together. The kids are in the back. They're playing. And there's a, a, a swing set. The A-frame type. 
And one of the little boys, he's very rambunctious. The mom's constantly watching him. About three years old, he climbs. And he goes to the first rung. And the next thing when she's looking, and she's telling him, be careful, be careful. He's on top of the swing set. And she's going out the door because she knows he's not balancing himself. And as she's heading out the door, she sees a header. He's going down. His head's going to hit the, it's, it's, it's grass, but it's still going to hit. And when she gets out there, split second interval, the little boy's dusting off his overalls. Are you okay? Are you okay? She assumed broken bones. An angel caught me, mom. The little boy was blatant, very blunt. And mama says, I think so, because she saw him going head first. Are there angels out there that protect us? I believe so. But this was Peter. This was Peter. Look at verse 16. Now Peter continued knocking. He didn't stop. But Rhoda ran away. And when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. This shows me the doubt. <laughs> they didn't believe it was Peter. It's his angel. It's the spirit of Peter. I like the word that's used here. Astonished is literally in the Greek. Insane. Out of their wits. Whoa, it's Peter. Peter, not an angel. Not his spirit. Wasn't a guardian angel of Peter. It was Peter. Was Peter, I asked this question, uh, on a weekend release program from being incarcerated. Some guys get that opportunity. No, it was Peter in the flesh, released from prison by the power of prayer. Church, when we pray, we mean business as Hannah meant business with God. Please, expect God to answer your prayer. How does this work? It's called faith. It's called asking, seeking, and knocking on God's heart. I want you to mark down the verse. You all know it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Jesus is speaking about prayer. And we understand we're to ask, we're to seek, we're to knock. But the Greek structure is in the progressive grammar. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. I think sometimes we pray, we knock, we ask. My Bible says to be persistent. In the same chapter, I want you to study it when you get home. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 5 through 8. There's a beautiful parable. The parable of the persistent friend. And, and the parable goes like this. The man in the house was already asleep. He was already in bed with his family. That's the culture of the Middle East. And a knock comes on the door. Hey, George, some friends are coming over. I need a couple of loaves of bread. Go away. We're asleep. My children are in bed with me. My wife is here. We've already latched the door. It was midnight, the Bible said. But he was persistent. He kept knocking. And he kept knocking, and he kept knocking. Even as the scripture says here, Peter continued knocking. Somebody's got to open the door. Uh, do we do that in prayer? Or do we just come and ask once? Now, some pastors agree. 
And they say, listen, you better keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, don't give up. But then there's other groups that say, ask God once, that's it. That's not what my Bible says. Those of you that have children, you understand what I'm saying. Our four girls grew up and they knew they could get anything out of dad. They were persistent, persistent. Now, even when I would say no, they still kept pushing. I'd take them to school, 8 o'clock in the morning, and they want a candy bar. No! Mom said, Mom's not here. But it's called persistence. They don't give up. Now they're older. And they call, Mary says, it's so-and-so, one of our kids. How much does she want? <laughs> and it's almost, but I, I want to help. I'm dad. If I can do it, I'm going to help. They know to turn to the loved one, to the sibling. They know to turn to mom and dad, whatever it might be. Don't give up on prayer. How many times we've heard the story uh, during the gold rush, some stopped digging. And then they sold everything. The new buyer comes in one foot, one foot, and they hit the mother load. I think sometimes we give up. Here they are astonished. They should have kept asking and seeking and knocking. They did. Peter did. Peter kept knocking. But sometimes we give up, church. That's what I'm trying to say. And sometimes we, we get frustrated. Pastor Bob, I've been praying. I've had some of the people here at the church. Pastor Bob, I've been praying for this situation for a long time. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. You never know that there's going to be a breakthrough. And so Peter's at the door knocking and knocking. Look at verse 17. But motioning to them, they finally opened the door with his hand to keep silent. I'm thinking Peter's like this. Shh, quiet. Because they were excited now. It is Peter. Glad tidings. They were insane in their excitement. But Peter's trying to quench it. Listen, the government's coming anytime. Rome is probably right behind me because I can't just leave the prison. Somebody's going to come looking for me. But notice Peter, you know, acknowledges with his hand. Keep silent, please. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And the Lord said, go tell those these things to James and to the brethren. Now, we know that James, the other one, was killed already. He was beheaded. But this has to be James that's at the Jerusalem church. Go tell them, Peter. What's, uh, Peter's telling them, go tell them what's happening. And he departed and he went to the other place. Listen to Peter's words here. Motioning to the prayer group. Keep silent. Then the simplicity. The Lord released me. Now, Peter knew they were praying. But the Lord released me from prison. It's a God thing. That's what Peter's saying. It's a very uh, simple, supernatural thing. No fanfare, no thunderclaps, no, no lights shining round about, no handwriting on the wall. It was very natural. I think sometimes we expect, you know, that handwriting on the wall. We expect that voice from heaven, Bob, whoa, who's that? That's not my wife's voice. Who is that? And we find out it's God. You're going to freak out. You'll faint. 
pass out, probably have cardiac arrest. And so God does things in simplicity. I like that. The simple command, go tell James. This has to be James in Jerusalem. Because James, the brother of John, the son of thunder, the son of Zebedee, this James was killed by Herod. We read that in verse 2. Look at verse 18 now. Then as soon as it was day, this gives us the indication, when Rhoda opened the door, it was very dark. There was no small stir among the soldiers what had happened or become of Peter. I like that. At daybreak, that's the best translation. There was no small stir. Listen to the translation here in the Greek. In other words, the Greek indicates there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Why? Because the responsibility on the soldiers for a prisoner. If a prisoner escaped, or if you lost a prisoner somehow, some way, you had to pay by death. That was a requirement by Rome. Now, I want you to see the other scenario. We spoke about it last week. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in a Philippian jail, singing praises and prayers unto the Lord. They're in stocks. After then, there was an earthquake and a great tumult. But the jailer, in my opinion, the jailer was listening to the prayers. He was listening to the Psalms. He was singing. He was listening to the singing with them. It ministered to him. He's got a different heart. God sees that heart. And we know that when the earth shook, these guys fell out of their shackles. They fell out of their confined position. Paul and Silas. Now, Paul was there. We shared last week. Usually they take off, but Paul stayed. Holy Spirit had him to stay. The jailer gets the sword and he's ready to plummet himself. He's ready to take his life because he's going to die anyway. And not to go through all the rigmarole with, you know, the Roman soldiers. Remember what Paul said? Don't do yourself any harm. We are still here. I know God was working in the jailer's heart. Because he responded, what must I do to be saved? Call upon the name of the Lord. You shall be saved. And then the jailer takes them home, feeds them, cares for them. And Paul and Silas lead the jailer's family. What a difference are the particular soldiers here. And so God is in the saving business. All you have to do is to work, you know, open up your heart. There was no small stir. They were frustrated. Look at verse 19. But when Herod had searched for him, speaking about Peter, and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. Exactly what we shared in Acts chapter 16. And he, speaking about Herod, went down from Judea to Caesarea and he stayed there. And we're going to read on what happens there. Here is proof text in verse 19. There was a great commotion in the hearts inwardly and outwardly of Herod himself. And then what about the guards now? King Herod was on one of his famous rampages. <laughs> he placed a search for Peter. Listen to the word examining. 
There was interrogation, strong interrogation. The various guards in charge of watching Peter. Back in verse 4, we determined that four relays of four soldiers, one squad for each of the night watch. In verse 6, there were two men, one on Peter's left side and one on Peter's right side, shackled to him. Yet God set him free. The penalty uh, for the soldiers would have been death. And that's exactly, I believe, what happened to them. Peter's been released. Answered prayer has taken place. But now it's Herod's time. He's angry. He's upset. He's frustrated. He interrogates uh, the guards and to no avail. Uh, prevail. He, he has to kill him, and that's exactly what he does. But look at verse 20 now. The caption in my Bible says, Herod, violent death. He refuses to help a contingent from Tyre and Sidon. And then he makes the grand heir. He takes the glory from God there at the theater in Caesarea. Now, we don't see the indications here, or we do see the indication but the proof text is in the historical writings of the Jews. Josephus gives us great insight what happens here. Look at verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord. They were in agreement. And having made uh, Blastus, the king's uh, personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with the food by the king's country. Tyre and Sidon, interesting at this time in history, were subjects of Rome in the area of Galilee at this time. We don't know why Herod was angry with them. We can only say that uh, Herod is the king. He doesn't need a reason, but he's angry with them. He just was angry. And the people... From these regions came to Herod. Listen how they did it. Through Blastus. Blastus would have been. And you look it up in church history. He was a eunuch at Herod's service. Historically to get an audience of the king. uh, You had to do a bribe. And so it would be perfect. uh, To go through this man Blastus. And so the leaders of Tyre and Sidon. Asked for peace. Notice they were supplied by Rome, and so Herod, to come against them, to hurt or attack them, Rome would have frowned on this, and they would have moved upon Herod. Now, what did Tyre and Sidon, uh, what did they represent? Taxes. And so they kept the loop there. But notice what Herod still irate. Look at verse 21. So, On a set day, Herod, that's very important. This is what Josephus writes about what happened on that set day. On a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and he gave an oration to them, a public speech. And so Herod, Herod, the king here, met with the leaders of Tyre and Sidon, It's a special day. That's why it says on a set day. It's a special day indeed. Herod was in all his pomp and glory. Josephus, listen to the uh, historical writings. 
On the day of the games in Caesarea, they exhibited in, in honor of the Roman emperor, Claudius, Herod, having reigned over Judea, went down to Caesarea, there exhibited shows and games in honor of Claudius, made vows of his health publicly. Uh, these were not just one-day games. On the second day of these shows, he put on a garment, this is Herod, made of silver with weaving wonder. They said it was spectacular. And it came. he comes into the theater early in the morning there at Caesarea, at which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by uh, the reflection of the rays of the sun shined and glistened in such manner of brilliance and glowing splendor from Herod. I, I can only imagine what he looked like. I want you to see he's right in the middle. And they see him in his, in his pomp and glory, his majesty, the flowing gown. And when the sun rays hit him, it just glistened. It just glistened. I hate when I'm following an 18-wheeler and the sun is behind us. And he has reflection on his, you know, truck. And I mean, sometimes it's just glistening, even from the tires, the flaps. And so you want to get out of the way. What were they seeing when they saw the aura of Herod? And I mean, in all his pomp and glory. But to their amazement, Josephus goes on. Those that were at the arena, they looked at Herod intently. And that flatteries came forth in cries throughout the theater. He is God. He is God. And they added to that, be merciful to us. Herod should have stopped them right there. He's half Jew. He knows you don't take. He was an Edomite. From the tribe of Esau. He knows you don't take glory from God. But he did not stop them. He liked it. He enjoyed it. He did not reject their flattery. Their Christ. Herod loved the accolades. I do look good. Look at this new Armani suit. Right? I'm Mr. GQ. They're crying out. He's a God. He's a God. Verse 22. And the people kept shouting of the voice of a God, not of a man. The voice of a God, not of a man. The theater in Herod's time in Caesarea, it was built by his grandfather, Herod the Great. But at this time, it was renovated and such it, it held easily 4,000 people. Built by his grandfather. Notice the cries continue. Herod should have stopped them. God will not be mocked, the Bible says. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap also. I want you to mark this passage down. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. We are never to take the glory. It's easy to get pats on the back. It's easy to say, well done, and that's okay. But be careful when you're expecting it. Be careful when you're looking for it. 
how'd you like what I did? Was that pretty good? It came out good, didn't it? Be careful. Listen to the passages. I love these passages. Galatians chapter 6. It's, it's called the principle of sowing and reaping. Verse 7. Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. It's a strong warning. It's a strong warning. Paul was very careful not to take any of the glory. At this point, Herod knew he should have rejected the cries. I am not a god. I'm here as a king. In fact, he should have taken off his clothes. He should have taken out the shininess away. He should have opened them up like the Jews would do. Break it open. But he liked it. He was encouraged by it. Look at verse 23. Back to our text now. Then immediately an angel of the Lord uh, struck him. Speaking about Herod now. Uh, he was not waking Herod up as the angel of the Lord did this to, to Peter earlier. But he struck him. Because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms. And he died that day. Again, we have to get some insight uh, from Josephus. At this point, Herod fought against God. He killed James, but it did not defeat God's plan. He arrested Peter, but the earnest time of prayer by the church saw God rescue Peter. And the apostles' work continued. Herod died a horrible death. Josephus gives us insight. The great Jewish historian. Because they cried in verse 22, the voice of a God, not of a man. An angel of the Lord struck Herod. How did he do it? That severe abdominal pains, stomach pains, also arose in his belly. And began in a most violent manner when he had been quite worn out by the pain in his belly. Listen to this. Josephus says for five days. Five days then he, he departed his life. Now, all I can imagine is that the worms ate him from the inside out. Took five days for him to die. Horrible death. And I'm thinking doctors at this time had to have come to prescribe and, and give medication. Nothing. It was his judgment that he called upon himself. Two more verses to conclude. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Again, church persecution, trials, hardship, pain, even death widens the borders of the church. The church increases. The church grows in faith. The body of Christ personally grows as individuals. Spiritual growth in Christ uh, through the trials. The more that man and Satan himself try to shut the church down. And we see this through history. It's happening right now. The church continues to progress. The church continues to become stronger and stronger. And through Christ Jesus. All things are possible. I want you to think of your own lives. The trials you go through. Maybe it's not as severe as others. But you go through trials. 
James chapter 1 says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and testing. God's building your faith. God teaches us to pray. This was the early church. This was the early church. I want to finish off uh, the chapter. It's just so precious. It's in verse 25. And the reason I didn't even write it down is because it's for next week's verse. But they left it in verse 25. It speaks about the ministry of Barnabas and Saul, which is Paul the Apostle. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. And when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. John later would be the one that writes the Gospel of Mark. But I want to share something interesting. At this time, you're going to see it. Paul and Barnabas have a ministry, and they're reaching. They're reaching Gentiles. And so Barnabas brings his nephew, who is John Mark, but he's a youngster. He's still a, a young kid, and he's a, a sniveling brat. And Paul says, send him home. Well, Barnabas didn't like that. But I want you to see what God does. Barnabas says, I'll take my nephew and I will go. Paul says, go. They had a strong confrontation. So then Paul picks up Silas. Listen to this. The trial to split them. It hurt. But then Paul and Silas went one way. Barnabas and his nephew John went another way. Two ministries instead of one. God has a purpose and a plan, just like Peter. He was arrested. He could have been killed like James, but God spared him. The people were praying. And that's what we're going to gather from this chapter and what we shared two Wednesdays ago. The power of prayer. I don't think we understand the privilege, the honor of the power of prayer. I think we take for granted the church, we have an instrument of prayer. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Get a hold of the horns uh, uh, on, the, on the altar and don't let go. Be like Hannah. She meant business with God. Lord, I'm not going to let you go till you give me a man child. The power of prayer. And I believe that's going to be an essential in these last days. An essential. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. Lord, thank you for the message of hope. Thank you, Lord, for the message that's appropriate at this time. Two mailboxes one at one church, one at another church. Uh, blowing up can be considered insignificant, but it scared a lot of people, Lord. Shut down uh, Calvary Baptist for Sunday services. Shut down Holy Cross for their Sunday services. And, and yes, we were concerned here. But it gives us an awareness now. How we need to pray and, and receive the words of Christ. Be wise as, as a serpent, but gentle as a dove. Lord, protect your people. Lord, protect this church. And so, Father, we give these things to you. Before we close, if there's anybody here 
uh, this morning. You've never given your life to Christ. The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Uh, Pastor Cliff is up here. He'll be more than glad uh, to lead you uh, in the sinner's prayer. I'm going to ask Terry to come up here with the women. If you need prayer, come on up. Ladies, you want to go to the to Terry, that's great. Men, if you want to go to uh, Cliff, that's great. If you're in a backslidden condition, get right with God. I've been sent here as a messenger, and the message has been given. And so we need to take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Father, we ask you to bless the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. Lord, bless our meeting this afternoon at 6 o'clock with those that want to be involved in Klein Park. We need all the help we can get. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew is going to end in song. And then he's going to, uh, you know, release you and let you go home. Uh, you want prayer? Come on up, please. Uh, join us tonight if you've never been involved in Klein Park. I can honestly tell you, you will be blessed. There's a lot to do. We expect a lot of people. So please come. Amen. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away to a land where joy will never end. to the fountain dip your heart in the streams of life let the pain and the sorrow 